who is that? Mm. And I was like, really? Seriously? Yeah. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. Who? Young Thug. Young Thug. It's weird because that's how I know a lot of the, like different type of music because like I hear it and then honestly I usually call it like a uh, dentist music because I usually hear it at the dentist or like right. the doctor's office right. and I'm like holy crap this is, this like, is where they sampled it from this is where they got it from <laughs> so like I love it um, alright welcome to Infused Influence um, I am your host Harry Danso here with Ulysses and as always I'll let Ulysses uh, introduce our special guest for the day of course so thank you for kicking it off and here thank you know. for our guest Dean Labrie is with us very special guest Partly because he's an influencer in, in the cannabis space, but from the higher education. So welcome, Dean Labrie. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you both for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, let's get started with just, you know, where you're from, how you got started in higher education, and especially how you got started with cannabis higher education. Sure. That's a, after 35 years, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'll give you a, a very short abbreviated version. So I grew up uh, in, in northern Maine, right on the Canadian border. My father was Canadian. My mother was American. I was one of those dreaded babe, border uh, babies. You get the best of both worlds. And, um, you know, so I was the last of nine children. Um, and um, the family was very much a blue-collar, working-class family. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly in that area was uh, you were either in the lumber industry or you were in the potato uh, farming business. Um, Those were the two big agricultural sectors and there was not much of a professional class so higher education was um, was something that I kind of came into um, late in high school and where teachers and faculty were saying you know which college are you going to and I was like we don't go to college. (laughs) (laughs) So um, but that's, that's kind of where higher education for me kind of started and, and uh, had a ro- rocky start, you know, and it ended up at a university that uh, um, I academically failed out of and um, had to reboot and go back, uh, back home uh, to my small town. There was a small branch campus of the University of Maine system um, in my town, still there, University of Maine of Fort Kent. Um, so if you look at a state map of the state of Maine, you'll go as far north as you can, and that's the most northern campus in the country. So, um, and graduated from there. Really, in many respects, I've said this before in many venues, kind of the university there really saved me. Um, I just was pretty much lost and didn't know quite what I'd do, but it really opened up a, a door and a pathway to thinking about something other than being uh, in the lumber industry or the potato farming business. Um, um, you know, came out as gay um, in that period of time mm-hmm. as well, which was, um, you know, now 35 years ago, it was um, kind of, you know, not, not something many people were doing. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of a, an odd experience, but still at the same time, very affirming and welcoming in that small community. Um, ultimately, um, 
fast forward, uh, ended up getting a master's degree at a small Catholic school up in uh, Winooski, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Uh, a master's in administration, and from there, uh, ultimately uh, registered for uh, a doctoral program at the University of Pennsylvania. So, really f- started off at a very open access kind of uh, university where it took me 10 years to, to get my undergraduate degree, <laughs> doing it part-time <laughs> and working, um, to uh, finishing my doctoral program in about a two, 21-month period, including the dissertation and everything else. So. So that's my pathway through higher education, and I found myself at Clark University, uh, started in the fall of 2018, and, um, you know, cannabis was very much in the air, Mm. if you want to think of it in that way. Uh, And we, uh, Clark University had an MPA program uh, that had been very well respected for many, many years, but had um, really kind of lost a lot of its energy. And so one of the things that we did... uh, my associate dean and I uh, scheduled ourselves to start talking to a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. in and around Massachusetts, mostly um, some folks in Rhode Island and a couple of folks in southern New Hampshire, um, mostly municipal officials and people mm-hmm. who were in government, and started asking them, like, what are the, what are the burning issues that you really need to get some information about? Mm-hmm. And, and we were expecting things like taxation, uh, Health care, um, the opioid crisis was uh, in, in pretty severe uh, and in the press a lot. And, and certainly we heard about those issues. But in almost every conversation, municipal officials in particular, but state officials as well, kept saying, like, um, we don't have enough information about cannabis. It's been illegal forever, as long as we've been alive. And um, the sudden change of making it legal um, we have no framework to really understand that. Yeah. And as that issue kept coming up time and time again, we kind of regrouped and started saying, there's a real gap here in the educational process around policy, uh, around the regulatory environment, around even the history and, and the, um, the evolution of cannabis in our country, having been at one point completely legal Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then because of uh, circumstances within our larger society becoming illegal and then r- kind of coming out of that period again. Um, and so we felt that there was a real educational gap there. And mm-hmm. that's really when we started thinking about what would a, a, a certificate or a degree look like in the cannabis space. Um, Clark, I managed the School of Professional Studies at, mm-hmm. at Clark. I'm the dean there. And we had a master's of public administration. So we really started taking a look at this, not from a business perspective, mm. but from a re- government, public policy, regulatory, health and safety kind of perspective. And started talking to a number of people, including you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were one of our first um, folks that we spoke with. And out of that came a three-course certificate uh, at the graduate level. Um, that is a subset of our pub- master's of public pu- administration. Um, in cannabis regulatory uh, affairs. Um, Really a three-course sequence at the graduate level. So Mm -hmm. for those of you in the wonky educational space, it's about a 12-credit unit. Um, And it takes most people um, about a year, um, Mm -hmm. a couple semesters to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some people have done all three courses in one semester uh, and have graduated with a certificate there. Um, but one, one of the courses is really uh, educational foundations of the education, the history of cannabis and, and kind of the, you know, the public perception of, 
of where cannabis has been at various points in time in the history. The other one is uh, really a health and safety kind of issue of, you know, what is the science out there uh, around um, cannabis use and uh, demystifying a lot of the myths that exist out mm -hmm. in, in the general public regarding cannabis uh, on both sides of that issue. Um, and then the third really is, you know, we wanted this to be a national program. Uh, Clark is a national research university and, you know, our view was not just simply here in Massachusetts, although that Massachusetts became our laboratory. Mm. Um, but we really started taking a look at the issue from a national perspective and thinking, what are the what are the regulatory and policy implications of uh, a legalized um, uh, substance that had been illegal for so many years? Mm. And, and so while we use Massachusetts and the regulatory environment here at Massachusetts, which is, uh, has a very well-developed uh, and articulated uh, mm -hmm. regulatory environment, mm -hmm. some states are um, not as well-articulated, and, and so a lot of people are... In, in other states are, you know, state a lot of times some confusion about what are the rules uh, yeah. for this. Uh, but we, we really took a, uh, a the national perspective around kind of when you think about uh, establishing a regulatory environment on something like this, mm. what needs to come to the table? Who needs to be there? Mm. Um, what are the implications of that? Um, and, um, you know, we, we uh, really uh, have came to the table with also kind of a, an overlay of an anti-racist kind of uh, perspective of, you know, cannabis has been used as a political tool in, in the United States around race and race relations. And we really wanted to kind of make sure that when we put out uh, a degree program or a certificate in this space that we, we really were attuned to that and, and sensitive to it. Um, so there were a lot of implications there. But, um, and so we launched in in uh, 2019, mm -hmm. um, it's fully the online. Pandemic. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a fun project to get together with a lot of people. Classrooms are really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, you have entrepreneurs. You have uh, people from, um, you know, cannabis advocates. Mm -hmm. uh, you have people from the police and safety yeah. perspective, health, uh, public health. International um, students. We have some international yeah. students. We've. Yeah. We recruit um, nationally for it, so there's, um, um, we've had people from the West Coast, Central yeah. America, Den yeah. the Denver area, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a nice cohort of students. People who don't always come together in the same classroom, mm -hmm. so the discussions are, are really cool, um, and people are discovering um, something not only about the, the industry and about uh, this particular regulatory environment, but mm. I think about each other. And, Absolutely. and people's perspectives there. So yeah. it's it's been a very positive experience overall. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. That's wow. amazing. Wow. I mean, what are some things that you learned? I know you, um, you're you the guy who kind of brought this about, especially at Clark and stuff like that. What are some things that you learned about cannabis, the history that sh surprised you? Mm. I guess the, I guess I knew some of this, but I didn't know it to the extent that I eventually learned it as and, and really it wasn't so much about the legalization of cannabis that I had kept up uh, not only in the it had been in you know referendums and, mm. and a variety of things there was a lot of information in the general public there about that but the thing that I think always struck me was kind of the uh, race overlay um, mm. and how 
cannabis was used really to, um, and, and I'm going to use the word suppress some communities, mm. um, because I do think that that's how it was in fact used. Um, mm. Cannabis use, I think uh, there were surveys as early as the 1970s and 80s uh, regarding um, use of cannabis uh, by various populations, and in fact there weren't that many differences in um, the racial makeup of people who profess to use cannabis. Mm. So the white community, the Hispanic community, the Latinx community, the black community, mm -hmm. um, all those numbers were, you know, w all within the same range, range yeah. um, except that um, arrests associated with cannabis were overwhelmingly from the black community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second, the Latinx community, I think, was the next community um, that was impacted. And, and, and the severity of the offenses and the mm -hmm. punishment uh, through the criminal justice system were... Um, much more disproportionately heavy-handed to the black community. Yeah. Um, uh, the three strikes you're out rule, mm -hmm. uh, for example, I think was used, you know, the, that was a Clinton administration uh, policy that, that uh, passed uh, with the Criminal Reform Act at the time. Um, and, um, you know, it was really easy to, I think, for a lot of people to get caught on uh, three federal offenses mm -hmm. having to do with marijuana possession. Mm. And um, it was a pretty blunt instrument, and and but um, you know was really disproportionately t targeted to Black Americans. And um, I I guess w you can know something, but then when you start really digging into it and mm. discovering the severity of it was really shocking. Mm. Um, there were um, you know ten to one um, you know people who were caught w uh, with cannabis crimes, um, incarcerated within the black community compared to the white community. Mm -hmm. And then you take, and then you compare that to user rates um, mm -hmm. uh, at the time that were self-disclosed that were not that different from each other mm -hmm. based on population. So clearly the criminal justice system was, was mm -hmm. being used there. So the decriminalization of, of cannabis, I think, created, at least for Massachusetts, I think an opportunity for a reset. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that to me w became kind of the thing that really became quite exciting to, to think about how public policy can um, be used to correct injustices uh, from the past. Now, there's, I think, a lot to be said about that. And, mm. and I don't think we've nearly gone far enough to, to do a full correction. Um, but, you know, policies around the country that you see around uh, expunging people's criminal record having to do with um, cannabis use mm. um, or possession um, I think is a is a step in the right direction there so but yep. that was my biggest takeaway as an educator that uh, you know this was something that existed within my community that I had been slightly aware of but not mm. fully aware of and and um, and hopefully we don't ever see that again yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny that you brought up expungement because yeah. um, we, we are currently organizing an expungement clinic um, in the area, hopefully in February, if not very shortly after. Um, and a lot of the things that you spoke about were some of the reasons why it was important to me because, I mean, I've lived in this community my whole life. And I remember as a kid seeing someone get arrested for marijuana as a child mm. and just thinking, like, it's something that's legal now that it's used freely to heal mm. for many other reasons than what it was deemed to be. So I think that, I mean, the way you explained it was, is very important. So, mm. yeah. yeah. Mm. And, the, and the point that you bring up about like, 
better understanding or at least uh, knowing about it, but like really understanding the harms that have been done. Mm -hmm. You know, my question is like, how do we educate the general public on that, right? Like we're talking about higher education and being in college, but like, you know, is it the state's job? Is it the, <laughs> is it the university job? Like how does the public learn about this stuff? I, I think the, you know, I think public education, I think is, is um, at one point in our past, I think probably a lot easier than it is today. Mm. Um, uh, there's a, yeah. you know, there's a machine out there that likes to perpetuate fake news, right? Yeah. And we've all heard about that. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. And, and certainly technologies such as, such as what we're using here today is, is been um, not only a tool for good, but a tool for bad. Right. And yeah. I think, um, you know, I think it, it's our job as educators to really kind of sift through the facts um, make sure that we bring the information to the table. Um, try to distribute that information as broadly as we can. I mean, I was very, um, um, it was, Clark w did not have a long tradition of online education, for example. Mm. Uh, but as we were talking about this credential, I insisted that it was online. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that was I really felt that it was a national issue. Mm. Um, that Clark was a national research university that needed to be able to project out this information not only to the greater Worcester community uh, but also to the to the nation mm. and because uh, cannabis laws are, are in still in evolution across the country there are people who are coming to the table who are uh, in the process of developing uh, policies uh, so we've mm. had a student for example in Hawaii uh, yeah. who's helped uh, developed. His, he was in your cohort, <laughs> right? Now. Uh, has has really helped draft the legislation in the state of Hawaii uh, around um, the rules involving cannabis and the legalization there, and 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 that's very gratifying to me. But still, those are baby steps, I think, mm. in the information dissemination. And I think that there's a lot more that not only higher education can do, but I think mm. the state does have a, a role to play. I think that mm. politically it's, it's um, a very um, difficult one for them to play. Oftentimes mm. I know that this podcast has been hosting some politicians and, and some uh, mm. select, uh, select men and women that, that are running for public office. So I do think that there is a constituency there. Certainly the referendums uh, that were hosted uh, that led to the legalization of, of cannabis uh, mm. in states like Massachusetts are, mm. were very important in getting a lot of information out. Um, but, you know, I think I see this um, as a, a part of our evolution uh, mm. in our society. Um, this was a deeply, deeply ingrained political issue. Mm. Um, uh, the people who were for the legalization are still very much passionately for the legalization. Uh, but there was also a contingent of folks that really felt this was a substance that just did not need to be in the mainstream mm. and, and needed to be banned. Mm. Um, I mean, there are still people in the United States that feel that mm. um, alcohol um, should be banned yeah. um, and go back to the prohibition years of the 20s and 30s. But, you know, that's obviously probably not going to happen. And I mm. think that uh, we're moving in the right direction. We just need to kind of, those of us that uh, live in the space where education is central to our lives. I think we really need to use that tool con continually for that. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that. I was at a, um, my first stint into the industry was at like a small certificate 
cannabis and it just didn't feel right especially being someone who's gone to graduate school much like you i spent about seven years doing my undergraduate so very familiar with that system so to go to like a small hey cannabis you know what i mean yeah i always felt like it was right to be in higher education and that's where it's going to be most impactful um but i was going to ask what are your thoughts on federal legalization and how that would transpire yeah i think listen federal reg uh the, the federal government um, typically follows uh, states, right? Um, we mm. saw it with gay marriage. We saw it with, um, you know, a, a whole range of things. Um, mm. uh, rarely does the federal government take the lead on, on uh, public policy, yeah. um, in, in our system anyway. Um, I think increasingly, I think uh, there are interstate compacts that need to be negotiated to um, deal with the issue of cannabis crossing state lines, for example. Mm. Uh, that's going to continue to get more and more complicated as more and more states legalize. Um, the transport uh, of cannabis across state lines is, is still largely barred in mm. the United States, right? Um, but, um, you know, the, the whole banking infrastructure uh, to support cannabis industry, I, you're probably more familiar with that aspect <laughs> of things than I am at this point, but uh, being an entrepreneur. Um, the, but the, on the federal side, I think the federal government tends to follow. Mm. Um, and, and I think in this particular case, it will. Um, it, and, and sometimes uh, it happens in fits and spart, spurts, and sometimes like it did with the marriage equality bill um, mm. that uh, would not pass the House or the Senate, but went through the courts um, mm. and was deemed unconstitutional. And so gay marriage became legal across the country. Wow. Um, but I, so it may happen through some court activity, but I, mm. you know, I suspect that at one point, People are going to wake up and say, you know, this is happening everywhere. We might as well just cod codify this into the right. rules of the game and, and have federal legislation there to, the, to clean up a whole lot of confusion. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so, I, mean, I, I also think the federal government's going to need, you know, their piece of what they see is happening, especially on a small scale for each state. Right. I mean, you just look at California, you look at here now. Hmm. I mean, we're taxed pretty heavily on every single purchase. Right. right. I, I just hope that it doesn't get even larger when the federal government's involved. Yeah. I mean, we, pay, we pay taxes to them now. Okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, so, they're, so, they're, so they're already winning. And for the, re for the record, for the record, and this is information for you, John, like the government, they, they literally like wash our money. Yes. So our money goes directly to the Federal Reserves in Boston. Like oh, wow, I'm not okay. afraid to talk about that. Okay. So okay. I just find it very interesting yeah, yeah. that our branch, our bank won't take it, but if we bring it to the the, the reserves, then no they problem. wire it to our accounts. So. I was not aware of that. Yeah, is that interesting? That's, no, that's it makes you question everything. You know, I, I, you know, I do think that this is kind of a, an issue that um, – you know, I think there's a lot of inertia in, in federal legislation. I think it's hard to, to make things go away that should have gone away a long time ago. Right. Um, and, um, you know, periodically somebody finds a, an antiquated rule that they make a lot of hay over and, and, um, and get rid of. But I think in this regard, I think um, the federal government, I think, has been pretty happy to leave this to the states right? Um, and just say, you know, let's not deal with this. And the political parties, right, both the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, for a whole variety of reasons, have been very happy to leave this as a state issue yeah. right. um, and stay out of it. Yeah. Um, now, 
staying out of it means in my mind then stay out of it right uh, get 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 the regulatory environment that you have as an overlay out of the process mm. but it's also I think uh, held us back as a country um, so coming back to my framework of seeing things from an educational perspective so um, my my father was Canadian we talked about yeah, this yeah. at one point um, where and, it's legal uh, where it's legal, yeah. <laughs> um, and my mother was an American, so I, I enjoy both citizenships. And and in the Canadian system, um, there was uh, even before it was legal, there was a regulatory environment that allowed a academia to research mm. uh, cannabis mm. and hemp and, and a variety of other areas. Um, and we're woefully behind a mm. lot of countries in our um, scientific understanding of um, the what cannabis does to the brain, uh, what medicinal purposes it could use, be used mm. for, how it can um, uh, work to enhance, uh, for example, uh, appetite uh, for mm. cancer survivors that are going through chemotherapy, a whole range of, of issues where the Canadians and, and the Europeans in particular, the Dutch and, and the Scandinavian countries have, have undergone years of research there. So, mm. you know, much of the, when we decriminalized hemp in this country uh, not that long ago, only about four or five years ago, mm. Almost entire, the entire bibliography of uh, government-sponsored research on hemp uh, came out of uh, one institution, Cornell, mm. which had been given a specialized license for that. Um, and, and that was it. The rest of the research came out of Canada, mm. uh, which it, where it had been studied for uh, many, many years. So if we're going to be fully immersed in, in our society and understand, um, you know, the product safety and, and the product implications of what many people in the United States use on a, a fairly regular basis. Um, mm. Universities need to do their job and, and research it. But, you know, again, federal policy has prevented that mm. um, by law um, and has made it a criminal activity to attempt to purchase marijuana to investigate, you know, kind right. of what, what its effects are. Right. So we don't we're, we're way behind where we should be on that issue. And, and that's a higher ed issue, but it's also a federal issue. So, you know, I, I do see that system eventually fading, uh, if not outright crumbling at one point. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, alongside the, the banking, I know we have the Safe Banking Act. So those two things are definitely need to be dismissed or dispelled in order for us to progress. Um, so going back to the research and higher education, obviously a lot of education, uh, institutions get federal funding. Was that ever an issue for you guys? Like, oh, the feds are going to stop <laughs> giving us funding. Like, how is this going to work? It certainly became a question um, with several members of our board right, uh, right. when our certificate. So, uh, so universities have these governance processes where if you propose a new degree program, there's a, a typically your faculty chime in, not only your faculty of your school, but the faculty of the entire university. Mm -hmm. Um, and and uh, ad administrators uh, chime in, but um, in our case, because uh, we were going into an area that was seen as quote unquote controversial, we actually took the whole certificate to the board of trustees at Clark, and mm -hmm. and uh, board members were were very good in their oversight and and asking us some very pointed questions. And one of the questions was, are we putting Title IV funding, uh, federal financial aid funding, at risk mm -hmm. uh, by doing this since it's federally um, banned? Mm -hmm. And and the answer to that, and we ultimately ended up getting a legal opinion um, mm. uh, to, to support our answer, although we knew what the answer was in advance, but um, you know, sometimes lawyers can be helpful in, in making sure that um, uh, they validate you know, what is being said. 
And because we were not um, actively growing, distributing, or selling right. uh, cannabis, we were really looking at um, public policy issues having to do with a le now a legalized substance mm. um, that uh, the f we were in no violation of any federal rules. But, but there are, you know, for example, um, you know, there were a range of community colleges that really started um, business programs mm. on how to open up your own cannabis shop and that sort of thing. And um, m many of them uh, pulled back, I think, considerably on there because there was a lot of uh, territory in the regulations that were not very clear mm. as to if you were um, walking somebody through kind of a how to grow a product mm. a piece, whether you were crossing over into that line mm. on the federal policy side that was uh, a, a no-go zone mm. uh, for f federal funding. So mm. um, it has created, not for us, but I think for some schools, it's uh, created some ambiguity there. Mm. Um, I think increasingly, I, I'm not hearing of anything in the, in the educational press where schools are getting into trouble for this. So right. um, mm. it seems that the federal government is, is either turning a blind eye or just allowing this to, to, to happen within mm. the educational space without applying the rules um, in any kind of strict fashion. So Which they should. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's important that um, you guys were able to get the certificate, especially with like the Worcester area being kind of like, I consider one of the capitals of cannabis on mm. the East Coast, yeah. because Mecca, everything's man. all West Coast, mm. and having people like Ulysses, who Thanks, actually have a business and that can actually give you know firsthand experience to the students mm -hmm. on what is right and wrong with the system and how we can make it better and how they can improve when they try to open up their own businesses. So I do think it's very important for sure. Yeah, yeah, Massachusetts, you know, Worcester became pretty interesting um, and this was serendipity this was not kind of anything planned on our part but when as we were putting together this certificate and and really started focusing on what really needed to come to the table um, on on this particular issue um, the cannabis commission was located right here mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that opening ceremony I was I was there yeah. at, uh, the, not the DCU it was uh, mechanics mechanics the hall? mechanic yeah, hall yeah, yeah. and uh, and you know that and, and clearly the Chamber of Commerce had an mm. interest in what yeah. was going on yeah, and yeah. and we partnered with those uh, well we didn't partner with the cannabis commission just to be clear because they're a political um, uh, organization mm. uh, you know, appointed by the governor and have some uh, conflict of interest rules that don't allow a lot but certainly they were, uh, when we went to them and asked them for information about what they felt was needed, mm. um, there were a whole range of things. So for example, um, uh, they were being charged with uh, kind of the oversight of the emerging industry. Mm. And one of the um, issues that they were facing was the, you know, what, what uh, type of, uh, what type of uh, penalties will they, uh, on and there's a whole range of things if somebody mm. you know forgets to lock a door that should be locked uh, that's that's you know by you know just a mistake yeah uh, that's probably a pretty low-level offense whereas if somebody is egregiously kind of flouting all of the rules that mm. there needs to be a different kind of penalty come to the table for mm. that and and one of the things that they were actively contemplating was um, for for individuals who were entering this business uh, that uh, had repeated violations uh, for uh, breaking some of the regulatory environments that had been put into 
especially on the retail side mm. uh, of, of cannabis, but also on the growing side. Um, might there be kind of a requirement for somebody to go out and participate in an educa educational program, mm -hmm. uh, which is a tool that government has used for a lot of other things. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, for example, in the state of Maine, I'm aware of uh, individuals who are repeat offenders and drunk driving, for example, are required to do kind of a, right. a you know, a, a course um, through a university or community college. Um, and, and our program kind of fit into that structure. Now, mm -hmm. we didn't make a decision, and, and you know, to this day, I still don't think that they are requiring any to, anybody to do kind of mm -hmm. um, a, an educational program if they are violators. And, and certainly, we wouldn't want to be uh, participating actively in, in that particular public policy. I have some issues with that. I mm -hmm. think people should come to us because they want to, not because they have to. It right, changes yeah. the classroom dynamic and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly those folks at the Cannabis Commission were, were very helpful in, in, in helping us think through kind of what needed to be brought to the table. So, and yeah, so, but I do agree. I think Worcester has had a lot going for it uh, and still has a lot still, going for yeah. it in, mm -hmm. in this Pop regard. Population has reached pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, where do you see your program like in the future? Where, do you, where are you guys trying to take it? What are some things you're looking for? to move yeah. forward yeah that's a great question you know i think um so it, even in the three years that we've had it uh, it's evolved mm -hmm. um the curriculum um that was put together in, in small teams um of folks um and mostly industry-based but also some members of our faculty at clark um uh, you know th those courses themselves have evolved uh, the literature is is uh, m uh much more is advancing very rapidly. I, there are some cases of research, actively research happening, especially mm -hmm. in the healthcare sector, uh, where there's new studies coming out almost kind of weekly, um, where where our, our faculty, especially in the health and education kind of track of, of the certificate program, are, are able to update the courses. Um, we've made this a fully owned uh, concentration within our Masters of Public Administration Mm. Um, so people are getting a Master's of Public Administration degree with a specialization in cannabis mm -hmm. regulatory control. So it's, a, it's evolved in that perspective. Um, the, probably the biggest place where I think the course, uh, and this is, would be a, a, a net addition to the course, is, is really this, this issue of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. Um, and um, as I mentioned earlier, it was for me just a personal surprise as to how uh, uh, negatively impacted the African-American community was uh, by uh, the legislation um, and the prohibition of, of cannabis in this country. Um, but there are a whole range of other equity issues at play. So um, here in Massachusetts, when the, when the referendum passed, um, there was a provision within there to create a, a much more open access to people who had been um, in communities that had been marginalized um, largely by the rules of cannabis that had been in place. Um, the reality is, is uh, it's been a slow um, progression there for mm -hmm. that level of open access and, and equality for members of minority communities, and especially in the business ownership side. Mm. Ulysses, I don't have to tell you <laughs> the, the struggles and, and, and the cost. Mm. So when, when a, an operation like a storefront costs in excess of a million dollars just to get set up before you sell anything, Mm. Um, and will take you know the better part of a year um, uh, to get through a regulatory process. Um, 
those are huge financial barriers. Mm -hmm. um, and to a community that has um, economically been marginalized for a long time, there are not that many people in those communities that have that kind of excess cash. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, you quickly saw, um, you know, throughout the state of Massachusetts, but also in other states that have legalized, uh, people with uh, very deep pockets, um, everything from, you know, uh, medical groups that started funding this, and mm -hmm. they had a lot of access to capital uh, to do this, but they were also predominantly white. Um, and so, you know, I do think that if we add a course um, right now, um, which we are actively talking about, it will have to be in the area of diversity and inclusion mm. um, and its implications there. Um, and, and then furthermore, I think, um, you know, I think I would like to see us think about um, a, a new course having to deal with um, kind of the, uh, the investment opportunities, you know, mm. from our School of Management, for example, uh, which may be outside of the certificate, but, you know, certainly there's um, a number of investors that are out there and clearly people are making money. And we see th through the tax returns um, mm. from, you know, how much states are collecting in, in taxes, there is a fair amount of money going through the system. Mm -hmm. um, and from an investment perspective and, and a business perspective, I do think that there's some areas to study there, so. No, I mean, I honestly think that's amazing. Um, I mean, working in the industry for three, four months now, <laughs> not that long. I feel like it's been forever, though. Um, <laughs> you just kind of see True. that th the diversity is coming along, but it's not kind of where I feel like it should be at the moment because mm. it's, it's taken a lot of, taken away from a lot of, you know, minority lives. And the fact that there are so many like even here, there are many dispensaries open here. Mm. Would be nicer to see a lot more people who have been marginalized during the situation to kind of like get more leadership roles in it. So it is, I am happy to hear that that's something that you guys are looking to do for your program. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say kind of from a societal perspective beyond kind of the rules and regulation and the health aspect that I've touched on, I think this issue of, of, uh, of inclusion uh, in this particular sector is is can be used as a launching pad to really talk about inclusion in all sectors yeah mm. um, because I think that the uh, the examples here are much clearer mm -hmm. um, they're much more s uh, pronounced and starker um, mm. in in their um, in their presentation and and I think um, I mean clearly we as a society have a lot of work to do um, and uh, uh, you know, I think that if we're able to kind of coming back to this educational theme that you mentioned earlier, if we're able to kind of educate the public that, you know, that there are communities out there that are, would really love to be very active members of an entrepreneurial class. Um, but because of the way things are set up from a regulatory perspective, which, mm. so uh, because this is a podcast, uh, I'm, I'm Caucasian, yeah. I grew up in a very white yeah. household. Um, for full disclosure, I have two children who are African American, and 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 two children from Guatemala, and one child from um, from Vietnam. So we're we're very sensitive to a number of uh, racial and, and mm. community issues. Um, but my my lived experience is very different than other people's lived experiences, and mm. and um, you know I don't think I'm 
a, a, an expert in this space, but I know enough about it that if, if we don't start elevating this issue, it's something that's holding us back from a society perspective, right? If we could unleash the entrepreneurial energy that's within our minority community, I think we'd mm. be all a lot better off from an economic perspective across mm. our society than, than keeping that, that aspect of our, of our communities kind of held back. So Agreed. Agreed. I, I love the dynamics of two different schools merging together. As we talked about in Northeastern, I think Northeastern is really good at that. I had some classes with pharmacists in business school. I had some classes with students that were JDs. So I think Clark should definitely lean in that perspective because this is an entrepreneurship, obviously, endeavor. But, you know, public policy and, you know what I mean, is also the other side of it. So yeah. anyway, I can be a resource for that. I fully support it. I would say <laughs> that from day one, <laughs> you know. I'm here for that. Here Yo, for, that. for real, man, for real. Um, yeah, I mean, we're about 40 minutes. I don't know. Yeah. Do you have any other questions? If you have any questions for us. Yeah. yeah. So what? So you've been open now for what? About six months? Uh, four months. Four months. Four months. Yeah. What's your biggest surprise so far? Um, <laughs> biggest surprise. That's a great question. Probably. They're not huge bags under your eyes. No. <laughs> uh, no. You're getting some sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say probably just the uh, the importance of uh, you know internal organization. You know, I think there's so much uh, flash and glam that comes with cannabis, even though it's been around. Everyone's like, oh, this is new, sexy thing. But like for our target audience, you know, people are going to find cannabis regardless of a dispensary or not. So I think it's important for us to really focus on who our target audience is and not try to appease everybody to say, hey, come use cannabis. Mm -hmm. You know, but aside from like really understanding our target. I think it's also understanding the people that work here. I mean, we really hire and curate people that love weed. You know, I think it would be weird if you if you didn't like weed and you were working here, yeah, yeah. but everyone gets excited when there's new flavors that come in, new strains, and it's just, uh, you know, really important to, to curate and understand that information mm -hmm. from an internal perspective, yeah. and then it resonates with the external customers that come in the community. So it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress, but I, I know that we're getting really good at it because we have a tight-knit group. You know, we're small and intimate. So I think that's, um, I wouldn't say really a surprise, but, you know, something that we work towards every yeah, day, yeah. you know. It's great that, you know, I think that you're able to kind of bring your community into your, your house, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of really, I think, one of the more exciting things around, you know, kind of the minority-owned businesses that, that I have seen is, is they are really helping the economic class within their community um, progress forward that's the only way to do it yeah you yeah. know so perfect absolutely well um i mean we're right about 40 minutes i mean it's been an absolute great conversation i think we could do this for like two hours yeah we'll have to do it, we'll do it again we'll do it again for let's, sure let's for clap sure. it up yeah, let's give it a round of applause thank you very much yeah, yeah for sure that was, that was this is a great appreciate conversation. thanks um, for the invitation absolutely perfect well um we're in food's influence Let's go. Come on down. Check us Let's out later. Let's go. Oh, actually, before I go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're at Major Bloom, 76 Millbury Street, Western Mass. So make sure you guys come down. Delivering soon. Don't forget about Delivering that. Delivering soon. Delivering January, soon. end of January, Perfect. early February for sure. Well, so thank you guys and thanks to the dean again. Okay. Thank you. How are we going?